Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week number 810. Brought to you by Mac Weldon. For 20% off your first order, visit macweldon.com slash iFanboy and enter the promo code iFanboy. And I fanboy listeners, just like you, who are boosted, thoughtful, helpful, considerate, all the things we need. Welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 810. It is the last pick of the week of this year. Not the last show. We'll talk about that later, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, there's shows, buddy. I'm Josh Flanagan. I'm here with my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. Hello, Josh. <laughs> Connor and I are having an argument, and so he's, tra- he's treating <laughs> Hello, Josh. Me. Hello, Josh. <laughs> I, said, I said something about his favorite meal... And he got really <laughs> upset about it. But I'm not going to apologize either. That's that's key. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are For once boy. in your life, do something different. But I don't think people understand how much less simmering resentment there is now <laughs> than like 10 years ago. <laughs> There's barely any. Now we're just like, this is cool. You know, like, <laughs> we are a fanboy. We can read our stack of comics. And one of us picks the one that they like the best. We call that the pick of the week. We'll talk about that comic book we will talk about other comic books we will talk about the patron pick which happens to be let me check that's a comic book mm-hmm. and some listener mail if we have time largely those are comic book themed we are planning to have a fun time we plan to spoil your books this week every chance i get i'm going to tell you what happens oh boy oh so boy. exercise your caution connor you had the pick i did and the pick of the week was batman 118 and before we get to this book josh yes since i saw lots of people rolling their eyes saying oh connor picked batman again would you like to guess the last time Batman was pick of the week? I mean, the Batman series itself? Yes. Long. I'm going to say, who's, uh, I don't even remember. I, it, years. I will say it's been years. It was March 2019. Yeah. And right. it was your pick. <laughs> it was Batman 67, which is 51 issues ago. Uh-huh. So it's been a while since we've even talked about Batman on the show in a long time. This is the start of a new era written by Josh Williamson. With art by Jorge Molina and said Michael Janet on it, but I didn't see where he actually drew it. They did a good job of meshing their their styles together. Colors by Tomo Murray and Clayton Cowles on letters. And we are out of the long national nightmare that was Fear State. 
and we're starting a new, although not quite as a new as I liked or have hoped, as some of the stuff is still bleeding over. But this was a breath of fresh air. It looked gorgeous. It sort of brought Batman back. Not, I don't say back to basics because it hasn't totally done that, but it sort of reset the table and sent Batman on an international adventure with his Batman Inc. people. And I obviously, as a big Batman fan who has not been enjoying the previous couple of years of Batman books, really was incredibly excited by this. I love the way this book is colored. I think Tomo Moraine was also on the previous run because it's similar colored. There's a lot of bright colors on in this book that you don't normally associate with Batman comics. Although I guess you have in the last couple of years. Colorful backgrounds and I just love the way it looks. And Jorge Molina, I haven't seen in a while, but is terrific as well. Although, did you read this? Yeah, yeah. I don't know how I felt about the final page reveal of sexy Mark Strong Lex Luthor, but that's fine. <laughs> Doesn't really fit just, into the, with his other appearances, but okay. It's just Mark Strong's jawline, to be fair. <laughs> and he, yeah, that is a, he's, he's quite, his, his outfit is, uh, he's got the drip. It's, uh, he's even got a little L lapel pin. Yeah, that's, that's nice. I thought, yeah, I, I, I was, I was going to go into a thing, but why don't you talk about the book, and then I will comment. You know, Batman's back on the streets, the magistrate's gone, all's right in the world, and he, he's investigating some crimes, brings him to a billionaire's ball where everybody's dressed up as his villains, and while he's doing that, he finds out that his Batman-incorporated protégés, the ones from the Grant Morrison era, have all been arrested and there's trouble with his, you know, international Batman. And so he changes his suit to his Batman ink suit and heads over to Europe to figure out what's going on. Here's my question. Where were those Batman international people when Gotham was all effed up? It's an asynchronous relationship. That's an excellent word. I loved little bits and pieces here. There was a point where, you know, Batman's talking to Barbara the whole time in his ear. She's back in her Oracle role. And... She asked him, what did you do after in the past after you solved the big case? And there was a nice little one-page shot of happy Batman memories, which you don't normally get. But, you know, him, him <laughs> and Gordon and the roof and him and Dick Grayson in the Batcave and him and Catwoman making out on the roof and him and Superman sharing a little friendly moment with Superman's hand on his shoulder and playing chess with Alfred. And that was a nice little... So Batman's not always so brooding and angry. I just love little moments like that. Even if it reminds me that they need to do something with some sort of cosmic button to bring Alfred back. The whole purpose of killing Alfred was because they were going into the future. They didn't go into the future, so now they need to figure that out. And they're still having Batman, quote-unquote, not have any money, which is stupid. And i got to believe yes. it's something to do with the movie because it's been going on for so long. It doesn't make any sense. Has it has brought no interesting story points to it. It's just stupid. Nor has it seemed to hamper his ability to do anything, which doesn't Right. He still has all of his gadgets. He's still flying planes to Europe. Like, I don't understand the point of it other than I've got to believe it's a movie thing. Maybe it's one of those things where, like, you know when people who have a lot of money say they don't have any money? But if you were, like, a poor person, you'd be like, that's actually a lot of money. Right. So maybe, like, he's only got, like, 500 million left. Then again, that jet set into Europe is going to suck through that real fast. Well, Bruce Wayne no longer has the funds to support Batman Incorporated. So that's what he says in the book. Well... And now Luther is doing it. So what's Luther up to? I always like when, when Bruce and Luther go up against each other because, yeah. you know, they're like both smart, they're both rich. They can go off on each other in a way that's different than Superman and Luther. Mm-hmm. You know, they're both sort of angry, rich kids who are very similar in a lot of ways. So I, like the, I always like that pairing. I think Josh Williamson is a good choice for this. He yeah, may not be well, the sexiest name in comics, but he's a really great writer. 
this was a really great comic. I think he's a guy who is uh, holding the torch for Jeff Johns in when a book needs to be regrounded, you know, after going very far afield, he's very good at sort of getting back to the roots of what the thing is or should be. Mm -hmm. I'm also unsurprised that he would sort of pick up the threads of Grant Morrison's story with yeah. Batman International and sort of go that way. That's pretty That's pretty on brand for him, is that I think one thing that he tends to be able to do is find a thing that worked really well in the past and bring it back in a way that is thoughtful and satisfying. You know, that's what he did with Flash. That's what he's doing here. I don't love Batman International as a thing, so mm-hmm. I find that to be less exciting. I never really got into that. So, but again, like, I don't I don't think it's a bad choice. It's just, it's not my favorite thing. I think the things that were very clear in this issue is that on this issue what they said was we're going to have a Batman, you know, where there's not a huge thing happening right now. That's for yeah. for this issue. Whatever the next one is is a different thing. But he even makes an appearance to some criminals in an alley. And, you know, that's a very clear signal, you know, because even the, the criminals like, they don't deal with us. We're too little, you know, but he's yeah. there for that, too. But it was still like he was going back to the minor leagues. He's like, yeah, I scared him. You know, like he just. Yeah, I mean, it, that's why I said back to basics. Like he's been dealing with this grand fear state plot for so long, at least in the Batman books. You know, it's been slightly different in the detective book, but it's just nice to have him sort of back to basics. And I also should mention he didn't go to Europe. He went to Asia. He went to one of those made up DC countries in Asia. I mean, you know, as someone who's been desperate for a Batman comic to enjoy for, for at least a year and a half, this was so satisfying for me. I was just happy to be able to enjoy a Batman comic. For the last year, you know, at least at least last year, I've been sort of, all right, with a heavy sigh going into reading Batman. And it's been nice that I can enjoy it again. Can I make a technical comment? Yeah. All right. Page 19. After mm-hmm. Batman has uh, thwarted the villain at the party of billionaires dressed like Batman villains. Yep. That the top, the people are all yelling. Mm-hmm. Yay, hell, kick ass. I hate that kind of lettering. Oh, uh, yeah, it's not great. Clayton Cowell's fantastic letterer, but just the choice of doing that, like it stands out to me and it also just looks incredibly inorganic. It doesn't look like it fits the environment. Yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. And I just, yeah. I it, I bumped on it and I thought, that's it. Because I looked and I was like, what? Uh, that's Clayton Cowell's. It's not like that's not a person who doesn't know what they're doing. Put them in word balloons. You don't have to attach them to people's heads. Just put, them, put them in word, in word balloons. balloons with no tails. Yeah. But maybe that didn't work for some reason. I thought it was funny that a kid was dressed as, uh, what's her name? I don't even remember her name anymore. I blocked her out. Oh, I don't know who that is. I know what you're talking about. The character they created to replace Harley Quinn as a villain. Punchline? Punchline, yeah. She showed up in some other book this week. Oh, really? I think it was in the Batman puzzle box, which I don't know if you Oh, uh, yeah. No, I'm not reading that. Yeah, but I don't even know who that is. I actually did get confused during the fight because I wasn't sure which actual villains were there. Was it all of them? I don't think so. Okay, so Firefly, then somebody jumps up to punch Firefly and it's Killer Croc. I think Firefly had his henchman dressed up as Batman villains, which is confusing. I'll give you that. Yes. Okay. Okay. For sure. Because they were at a Batman villain-themed party. Right. So I was like, are the guests attacking? (laughs) You know, and that really looks like the Joker. Like, if those are costumes, they don't not look like the people. Right. I think the only real one was Firefly, Riddler, a Joker, Two-Face. Those were all his henchmen, I think. I'm just saying, if he can make a Killer Croc costume that looks like that, he should go into a different line of work. Well, that's Batman. Batman's just as Killer Croc. Batman is, okay, right? Yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, I, I had a hard, I had a hard time following that. Firefly blasts him with his heat, and the heat melts the Killer Clark costume. And underneath it, Batman's wearing his full costume, including his utility belt. That's correct. That is supposed to happen, by the way. Yeah, pin particles. That's the way that should work. He's got him in DC too. Mm-hmm. He, he kept some in the crossover. I enjoyed this. This was fun. I look forward oh, wait, to more. Wait. One more. What? Yeah. So the Gotham Globe markets and advertises with a fleet of. Oh, those are from Fear State, aren't they? The blimps. Gotham's always had blimps. That's been part of its its look. There are four blimps in this shot to advertise a newspaper. Yeah. That yeah. does not make sense economically. <laughs> Batman exists in a different world. I guess so. In a, in a world where the newspapers still have, like, William Randolph Hearst levels of uh, They have a fleet of blimps money. <laughs> in a grand iFanboy tradition, and also because this is the trend now, I thought Fantastic Four Life Story number five was the final issue. It read like a final issue, and most yes. miniseries yes, now did. are five issues. So I thought, oh, this is the last issue. This is by Mark Russell, Sean Isaacs, and apparently some Carlos Magno art as well. But I got to the end of it, and I thought, okay, that was the end. And then it says, next issue. I was like, what? We gotta do the tens. Yeah. We gotta do this. was the 2000s. There were big pants at the beginning of it. This is the miniseries that takes place in quote-unquote real time. So these people are all supposed to be... I guess in their 60s, although they're not always drawn that way. At least Sue. Reed was shown in the last issue to have control over his face, using his powers to make himself look younger. But Sue should be, I think, much older looking than she is here. I don't know. You could be an early to mid-60s woman and look like that. I was just guessing. Like, So if they were in their 20s in the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. They were born in, in the 40s. I mean, so yeah, that's what it have to be. Yeah. But also, this book spans many years. True. So there's a big difference between... And you are asking a lot of an artist to come up with a different model for each character as we go through each year in a decade in their <laughs> 60s. And there's a big difference between 60 and 69, I think. Yes. I think that's fair. I think it was it was pretty spot on to me. I don't the whole story of this miniseries has been that Reed had the vision of Galactus coming and the whole time he's been trying to warn the world that Galactus is coming, prepare for Galactus. It's all like a whole climate change metaphor there. And so now Galactus has finally come in this issue. Silver Surfer has shown up, and he's the Herald, and he says, Galactus is coming for you. There's a couple of things I like. I like the idea that there was a countdown everywhere, like, till Galactus Day. They really nailed that math down, didn't they? <laughs> but I feel like, and I don't know, maybe this is what, I feel like society would break down much quicker. At one point, they're at the last day at the runway bar in 2005. They're trying to pay. He's like, well, we stopped taking credit cards like a week ago. But then he gives them cash. Like, what's the cash for? They're all about to die. That is also representative of money, just like credit cards. So, therefore, is also meaningless. Right. Like, like what is he going to do with like cash? He's about to, they're all, the whole planet's going to die in a week or a year. I, I had that thought, too. And, and I think that you're right. But also, I am okay with romantic license in this instance. Yeah, and yeah. It just was like, you know, at that point, you know, no one's making more beer. No one's going to the beer factory. No one's waiting on anyone. Right. You know? <laughs> like... No, you're right, and I think that that is one of those areas where suspension of disbelief is going to be most helpful. Yeah. I think they drilled in deeper on Galactus here where it was like, he doesn't just like sort of devour the planet, he's devouring, what is it, it's like the life it's force like, of the people? Yeah, like, and the more conscious lives there are, the more delicious it is to him. That's why he goes for habited planets instead of an On, on page planet. 26? Oh, there's Carlos Mango, I see him now. Silver Surfer flies up to Galactus's head and is like, hey, the new Herald approaches. And Galactus looks disgusted. Yeah. 
He's got a he's got an enormous scowl. And then I was like, well, wait, did they draw him like that in the rest of the book? They don't. So there's something about that moment that he's just like, ugh. He doesn't like the first bite of a planet, for example. He's very he's very concerned. I like this. I thought that was some nice twists and turns. Reed sacrifices himself, but then there's a twist on that. The thing punches Galactus in the face. Like I thought this was a lot of mm-hmm. fun Fantastic Four stuff while still dealing with weighty issues of a society that's about to crumble because they ignored the warnings. It's not society's gonna crumble. That's I mean, that's what we're doing. Right. Our society's crumbling. Here the world is ending. Well, that's so the logical conclusion to yeah. climate change. So yeah. I thought this I was good. It. I've enjoyed this. It's been good. It's been the right level. Russell had the right level of Russellness for it. I think. Yeah, this is more like along the lines of his uh, Red Sonia work. Yep. Slightly less silly, actually, because there's very little silliness, and there was silliness in Red Sonia. Oh, yeah, no, there was talking pigs in Red Sonia, but there's more along the lines that he's telling a straight up like action story, but with little bits of his commentary mm-hmm. in there. Yep. Did you read The Devil's Reign, number one, which is basically just the next issue of Daredevil? No, but we had talked about that last week. <laughs> so tell me if it's any good. You said you were done? Yeah, I was. I, yeah, I feel like I'm done. I think you're pulling the cord with like six issues to go. I think this is the culmination of his run in this Devil's Reign six-issue Marvel event, as the cover says, written by Chip Zdarsky, drawn by Marco Cicchetto. And like I said, this is literally the next issue. It continues on from last week's issue. Wilson Fisk is pissed that he can't read this file that shows Daredevil's identity. He confronts Daredevil about it and says, you know, what did you do to me? What did you do to all of us? Tell me who you are. And Daredevil just taunts him and says, you know, get lost. A couple of episodes ago, it may have been the one you were not on, but I think we talked about it again. We talked about how Marvel's still chasing that Civil War dragon. And so here, Wilson Fisk declares superheroes illegal in New York. Except for the Thunderbolts, his hand-picked team of villains who are going to enforce the the law. Thunderbolts team? No, they're like, it's like Rhino. It's it's basically whoever. The Thunderbolts is just a branding. It's U.S. agent. It's Rhino. It's the female Electro. Yeah, it's basically whoever. I'm sorry. Is U.S. agent a bad guy now? or In this book, he is. They need to have a discussion. They need to figure out what that is because it's confusing. And I don't think he needs. To, I don't think he should be a bad guy. I think he's the guy from West Coast Avengers, who's just a square, but he's a good guy. Yeah, well, but I they guess don't this know. TV show kind of kind of yeah. ruined that one. He kind of redeemed himself at the end of the TV show. Anyway, so a group of heroes they, they arrest Moon Knight. They try to arrest. I assume this is Miles Morales. I don't know who the fuck this costume is, but I assume it's Miles Morales' terrible new costume. In doing so, Captain America rescues him, and there's like an underground team of like Ben Riley and Daredevil and Miles Morales and Captain America and Elektra. And then they end up adding, like, Luke Cage and the Fantastic Four. It's basically, like, low-key civil war. Although there's no heroes on the other side. It's just that the heroes have been banned. And on the other side is the villains who are Thunderbolts now. I mean, look, if you've been enjoying Daredevil and you you clearly tapped out of it, then it's basically just the next issue of Daredevil. And it's going to be ending soon, I think. It seems like they want to level Fisk up to president of the United States in the Marvel Universe. He's going to... Oh, no, don't do that. The rich people are going to make him run for president. The the rich criminals that have been running everything in the background. And then Tony Stark says he's going to run for mayor against Wilson Fisk. There's a lot that I rolled my eyes at. I don't think you're selling it all that well. I have been enjoying Daredevil, even though there's a lot here. I was doing a lot of eye rolling because, again, it just seems like they just keep going back to the idea of Civil War and the heroes being outlawed. And they even reference it here again in the book itself. But Marco Trichetto is great. There was great character stuff in here. But overall, I think... Perhaps this book's time has come, and this might be it. You know, this might be the final six issues of this book. But I've been, I have been enjoying it for the most part. I think that there's nothing wrong with a well thought out long run on a book. 
with themes and stuff. It It's just that sometimes I don't, it feels like you're stuck in that thing for too long and mm-hmm. it doesn't warrant that. Right. You know, take something like, um, that's a good example of it. It would be like um, Cataclysm and Aftermath. Yep. You're in that for a long time and that one worked for whatever reason, you know, and you can mm-hmm. go with it and there would be stuff that comes through. And I think to a certain extent, Batman Catwoman mm-hmm. worked for the most part, maybe not fully. That storyline, not the book itself. Right, but I feel like this book hasn't made a lot of progress. Like, I feel like we're doing the same thing, which was interesting, but mm-hmm. it's just the same thing for a really long time. Like, and I mean, maybe we've been reading comics for too long, but like, send Matt to prison. I was like, I've literally read this at least twice. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't really anything. There was, you know, there was a different kind of story around it, but that's not the interesting part about sending to prison, except I've read him going to prison. You know, Kingpin has been mayor forever. Yep. And I just wanted something new out of it. And I mean, the new thing here was that, remember, Daredevil killed somebody, and he's like, why should I do this? And now he's like, I have to do this. And that's really the only place we've gone. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's it's just not bringing enough to the table. It, not every book has to be like story of the week or every, you know, which one, but I find that we're enjoying those ones a lot more lately. Yeah. They go on a little two, three issue adventure. I struggle with this because I like it. I think the craft is really good. Yes. It's just Marvel can't get away from the idea of making the heroes outlaws. Mm-hmm. They just can't do it. <laughs> Apparently Wilson Fisk's will is too strong to be swayed by the purple man, which I didn't know was a thing. That's dumb. I mean, I, I get that you need it. That's your deus ex machina, but like, okay. So does he, does that mean he can't do Captain America or? Right. Chala yeah. or what? Right. Superman, Son of Kal-El, annual number one. Now, I know that you're not totally down with this, but did you read this? Yes, I did. I thought this was a fun little John versus Luther story, but not versus, with a nice little twist yeah, on the Luther-Superman relationship. Yeah, Tom Taylor, Steve Pugh, and Clayton Henry. Yeah, Steve Pugh, by the way, I have a hard time now picturing in a different context of his funny books, but I got over that. This was good Steve Pugh. He's been bouncing around yeah. different styles for a while, but this was good. And the Clayton Henry cold open was really strong with the sort of classic Bronze Age versions of Superman, Batman, and Martian Manhunter fighting Lex Luthor in his Bronze Age metal suit. This is a very different Luthor than the one in Batman. Yes, it is. And I, I think that this one was like kind of like my idea of classic Luthor. Mm-hmm. I thought that the idea of having John go learn everything about chess in six minutes... Mm-hmm. It was a really good way of being like, I'm not a pushover. Right. And he is a slightly different person than Clark Kent, which I think is necessary. Yes. It's going to end up to the point where people are just writing him as Clark Kent, and that'll be it. And that'll be like we'll see on sort of less thoughtful books, I think. But Tom Taylor's not that. I got to say, by the way, his haircut is terrible, and I hate it. Yeah, I, I struggle with how to critique that. It's, <laughs> it's really bad. At one point, I noticed his hair, and I was like, ugh. It's yeah. awful. It's really, really, really bad. <laughs> it's, it's like when Kramer didn't have shower pressure. Right. It's so bad. It's awful. Yeah, no, it's terrible. I mean, there were good Tom Taylor bits in here. Batman shows up to give John a crystal. I love that Lois is like the only person that doesn't get intimidated by Batman. Mm-hmm. I love that. She had a nice line. We learned something about boundaries or privacy that day. When he showed up unexpectedly at their house. I mean, he's Her and Alfred. Yeah. I think that's great. I thought John and the polar bear was fun. I liked, like you said, John. I don't think we've seen him up against Luther yet. Maybe we have, but I haven't thought about it. But I like that he's like, just because I'm a kid, you can't intimidate me. And they have their chess match. The literal and figurative chess match. Yeah. 
I thought this was a good issue. I enjoyed it. And he wipes the floor with him. And it was just, it was a one-off. It was like we go it's and an we do. Yep. And it was exactly what it was supposed to be. It wasn't leading into or out of something else. Well, it says to be continued at the end. Either way, what I mean is you could read it on its own. Yes. As a thing. It wasn't just setting the table for the next thing. Uh, in a I mean, way I think it will be for whatever's going on next in this book. But right. yes, you could totally just read this as a story. You know what I mean? One shot story, yeah. And it's the good Luther. The good Luther, you're not quite sure what to think of him from panel to panel. I think that is when Luther. There was a great for me. moment in here where he, it's really classic Luther, where he intimidates some people by saying, I had a meeting with this guy. I didn't like how the meeting went, and he had a stroke. So Yeah, that was also brilliant. You've now opened your box. There are nanobots. They're going to fly into your brain. Eh, maybe you'll have a stroke, maybe you won't. I thought that was really great classic, mm-hmm. super evil Luther stuff. And then Mercy's like, were there nanobots? He's like, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> like, he's not giving it up to anybody. Yeah, it's interesting. But at the same time, like, there's also this element of, like, you know, you could do good. And you see him think about it. Yeah, I could. Right. You should, maybe. Because he could turn at any point. I don't think it's ever that you're not sure if he's good or bad. I don't know if that's right. But that he could go either way harder, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's fun about it. Let's take a quick break and talk about Mac Weldon. Josh, you're a busy guy. I'm a busy guy. Everybody listening is busy. So stop thinking about what to wear. Just embrace the radically efficient Mac Weldon daily wear system. The daily wear system is a selection of clothes rooted in smart design, made with performance fabrics, and built to work together. From breathable t-shirts and polos to stylish button-ups and shorts, underwear and beyond, Mac Weldon makes it easy for you to dress for work, leisure, and play, or wherever life takes you. What's great about right now in Los Angeles is it's finally cold. It's in the 40s in the morning. It's in the 50s during the day, which means... Wow. 40s in Los Angeles is cold. Yeah, it's no joke. And next week's going to be even colder. But I've been living in my Mack Weldon Ace sweatpants all week. That's what I've been working in. That's what I've been lounging in. They're nice. They're warm. They're stylish. I pair them with some warm socks and some slippers and a sweatshirt. And that's about as comfortable as you could possibly get. I know you've recently branched out into a new product line from Mack Weldon. I bought an Ace hoodie, mm-hmm. and uh, it's difficult to not wear most days. <laughs> Do you see what I'm getting at here? Like, yeah. oh, I, I could wear that again. And to be fair, I don't go anywhere. <laughs> so I could wear it every day, but even I have, you know, have my limits. Sure. I think it was after we did the last ad for them, I thought, I haven't looked for a little bit. And I was like, I just, you know, I just got to get one of those. And I don't regret it. Right. I sent Connor a text. This is apropos of nothing. This is not advertising. I I got one of these. And it is the business, buddy. (laughs) He did. That's the text I got. It was all right. So you save time by choosing Mack Weldon products. You you can focus on things that matter. You're not worrying about what clothes you're wearing. All the clothes are designed to work together. So for the Ultimate Lazy Sunday, the Ace Sweatpant has modern tailoring and pair perfectly with the ultra-soft, ultra-upgraded Pima tees. For weekend travels, both near and far, their silver knit polo and radius pant are the perfect high-tech, highly packable combo. So for 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com slash iFanboy. Enter promo code iFanboy. That's MacWeldon.com slash iFanboy. Promo code iFanboy for 20% off your first order. MacWeldon, radically efficient wardrobing. Let's hit some books. Mm-hmm. We have Made in Korea number six. This is the last issue of that miniseries. Did you stick with this the whole way through? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I can tell by the tone of your voice that you're not totally thrilled about that. I, I think it was super compelling up through the shooting, or the attempted school shooting, and then I think the last two issues, I couldn't even tell you what really happened. I think that it or was what a happened. real... 
It was a really good start, and it was very focused, but I think after you introduced the school shooter kids, it got unfocused and tried to do too many things, up into and including, like, the, the robot was trans by the end. Yeah. And it, again, nothing wrong with any of those topics, but there was a focus lost, and... Well, the robot was, was it like a trans kid, and then the, did the robot's personality get put into an adult sex bot body? Is that what happened at the end? That seems to be what happened, yeah. But there was a bit before where she... And I, I looked, I paid attention. They were referring to the robot as she after mm-hmm. this. They're in the mall, and, and like, you're never going to grow up. And then she looks over at, like, one of the, you know, sexy posters of, of boys on the wall of, like, an Abercrombie and Fitch, and she gets all sad and mad that she's never going to be that. And I was like, well, that's a different thing. Right. The point is there was too many things being explored here. Yes. And I think if we had stuck with, if you subtract the parts of the, like, the school, I, I don't understand the point of the school shooting thing at all. Like, it, like yeah, at first, not, like, all right, let's stick with this, and it's interesting, but it didn't, I don't know. It was very it compelling because it was, you know, rooted in the fears we have now, but ultimately, like, I don't think it mattered towards what I guess was the ultimate point about identity here, but I also don't know that they made it clear what their ultimate point was. I think that's what it is. I, maybe, and maybe it's that the lines between all those things weren't clear enough, but it felt like it went all over the place. It tried to say too many things near the end. Yeah. Now, if you take those bits out and you do it as a story about AI and self-determination, and I think you could get there. I think you could edit this down into something very cohesive still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of flailed a bit there. You know, in Made in Korea, like maybe there was something to do with identity as a Korean or Korean-American, but I don't know that that came across. Yeah, I think that was too much. It was unfocused. I think issue four, five and six, I just, did, I just didn't care for. Mm-hmm. I actually really liked the bits where we were back in Korea with the robot maker guy who was let, then on the, on the run. There was also a bit, too, where, I don't know, like, like they were going to get him. But they didn't, and then the sort of conclusion of like him going to the factory, who he, where he could get in for some reason, pulling the robot, who had then had they changed the haircut because it was right. the little girl haircut and the other one, and then they changed it to the other one, so it was unclear which of the robot was the one that we've been following, and yeah, it was, it anyway. was a bit of a mess at the end. Yeah, I do want to mention crossover ten real briefly because I know this book annoys you. I get it. I don't even think about it anymore. I know, but I don't. When I talk about it, it annoys you, but. It does not. In the last issue, they did the whole powers thing because Walker and Pilgrim are characters now. They're investigating the crimes. So here, Brian Bendis and Michael Oming write and draw the sequence in which Pilgrim and Walker interrogate Bendis himself. And I thought that was fun. Yeah. Donnie Cates and Jeff Shaw hand the reins over to the original powers team, and they get to do a fun seven-page interrogation sequence where Bendis is freaking out because his own creations are interrogating him, and then Oming shows up and... They argue over who actually created the book and, you know, all kinds of meta stuff. This whole book is weird, but I did enjoy that sequence. Cool. Did you finish Amazing Fantasy? I do, but it's very possible that I missed something in the middle. It's very possible. I don't know that I you did. did. Four. Okay. Okay. Well, may, well okay. maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't. I I, I liked this book a lot. One of the issues is Pick of the Week, the first one. Uh, Paul and I talked about the second one on the show when you were gone. I thought this was fun. I like Marvel taking more chances like this, doing more fun genre stuff with the characters, you know, having some fun outside of the normal Marvel world. I don't know that it fully came together at the end. I don't know that I fully followed all of the intricacies of the plot. And I don't know if it's because, again, this is only five issues instead of six. I was a little confused for part of this, but then I thought this ended strongly. 
I thought the art was great. I thought it was a nice return to the first issue in which he did all the characters in different art styles. So Kara Andrews, who wrote and drew this. So we had a you know, more cartoony Captain America, sort of a painted Black Widow, and a very sort of pop-arty Spider-Man, who does not miss leg day, by the way. His legs are huge. Yeah, at one point he had his shirt off, and I went, wait, I thought this was supposed to be a teenage one. So I went back to the roll call at the beginning. I was like, yeah, it's a teenage one. Yeah, it's teenage 60 Spider-Man, yeah. But he's fucking ripped. Yeah. He looks like an Instagram <laughs> guy. Yeah. Okay. I, this was fun. I wonder how it reads all together, if it's less confusing, but I thought it was a little confusing at the end. Yeah. I think it had good elements, but I, I lost the thread of the thing. But it's, again, very possible I didn't read number four. That's well, I definitely read four, and I thought it was confusing. I don't know that I was super invested in the story. I was kind of invested in like looking at it and watching the characters mm-hmm. interact with each other, and that was kind of what I showed up for, I think. Yeah. Like, what was Wolverine doing on the island at the end? <laughs> yeah, he was a zombie, and then he wasn't, and I don't know. I didn't really understand how the afterworld works. And I, for- I was forgetting that it was an afterworld and not an Avengers Forever type scenario. Yeah. This whole section is sort of the same thematically. The Good Asian number seven, which is a book I'm enjoying, and we talked about last time, six was really strong, issue one was pick of the week, but I feel like I'm losing the thread. This is a 12-issue miniseries. I feel like this is a book you need to read. All at once, because it's got a lot of characters. They look very similar. In this issue, our main character confronts the killer, and I was like, wait, have we seen this guy before? Just because this is a lot going on. Yes. And I went back again to the title page multiple times mm-hmm. to make sure that I had everything. But there's a lot of characters, and all of the white people have, like, old time. There's Mason Carraway and Abraham Woodward, and I was like, those mm-hmm. are too close. <laughs> they, they both sound like, you know, the same kind of dastardly North Atlantic, you know, industrialist. And there's Ivy Chen, but then there's also her sister, Ho- wait, yeah, Holly, no, Holly's Helen's. There's a lot of people and they're either Chinese people of a certain age or white people of a certain age. You know what I mean? Like they're all sort of mid 20s, 30 year old. When you're watching a film, you can at least imprint on an actor. Yeah. And even if you don't remember their name, you can remember their face. It's harder when it's the drawing. It just is. So yeah. for stories like this, it's this difficult. Although our main hero gets fucked up in this book. Yeah. And I kind of was like, wait, is this really happening? I also think that the story of Hui Long, who mm-hmm. is um, an illegitimate heir to the Woodward family and has been the kill. I don't fully understand his motivation other than he's really angry about having been rejected i think that story is really interesting he was rejected by both sides he's how he's yes. half chinese he looks more anglo than he does chinese and so his chinese side totally rejects him and his anglo side also rejects him because he's part and then his mother part and father chinese. both die except the problem is in that that first flashback page is that his mother looks exactly like victoria Right. This is a problem with the art. Right. And so I, I was like, do we flash forward? Or are we flashing backwards? Or I think the plot's really good. And I think it's all great and it works on paper, but they are barely holding on in a graphic format. I finished this and I was like, man, I think this is probably really great in trade. Also, I think the art's great. I don't know um, Alexandra Tefengi. 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 I was being careful as I went through it. This is a minefield. There's a good, it's a, it's a great style, and I think it looks really good. The colors are good, but it's tough work, what they're trying to do here. Yeah. It's a real challenge for a comic book to do this kind of story. Mm-hmm. 
just because of the nature of, of the format, I think. And it's not like the most senior veteran sort of artist or, you know, going through it. I don't think it's falling apart. I don't think it's failed. And I actually really enjoyed the last. No, year. I don't think it's a bad book at all. It's just it's just there's so much going on that it's hard yes. to keep track of when you're reading 20. They're not, they're not making it easy on themselves. Four books a week and, it, you know. So quick break. This is going to be a packed show, our final show of the year. Talk about the year-end stats before we move on to the patron pick. The year-end pick of the week stats we like to compile and just go over quickly. We're not going to spend a ton of time here. So Josh, last year's numbers were weird because we had the pandemic and we had like five weeks where there were no comics. So this year we're back to normal numbers. This year we had 49 picks of the week. Of those, I had 23, you had 22, Ryan had three, Jim Viscardi had one. From those 49 picks, there were seven different publishers who received picks. Marvel had 19, DC had 18, seven from Image, two from Dark Horse, one from Ahoy, one from Comixology, one from IDW. And of those, Josh, you had four publishers you gave picks to. 11 were Marvel, six were DC, four were Image, one was IDW. I had six publishers. 10 were DC, six were Marvel, three were Image, two were Dark Horse, one was Ahoy, one was Comixology. Wow, I really am the Marvel guy, and you really are the DC guy. You're officially taking the Marvel guy title from Ron? That's not incorrect, because I'm a more of a Marvel guy. Always have been. Yeah, normally there's a lot more indie books, but you only had five of those this year. Ryan had two companies, two DC picks, one Marvel pick, and Jim had one pick from Marvel. So this is interesting. Last year's writer with the most picks was? Uh, writer with the most picks? Last year. Last? I don't remember last year. Tom Taylor. <laughs> Tom Taylor had eight picks this year. Number one writer with the most multiple picks? Tom Taylor. Tom Taylor. Seven picks. So he had one less than last year, but still the writer with the most picks. Daniel Warren Johnson had four. Jeff Lemire, All three. The same series. Matthew Rosenberg, three. Tom King, three. Brandon Thomas, Colin Kelly, Dan Slott, Gene Luen Yang, Jackson Lansing, Jed McKay, Josh Williamson, Mark Russell, Scotty Young all had two picks. Those are all the writers who had multiple picks of the week. And we had 39 other writers who uh, had single picks. This year, there were like three or four anthology books that had you know, multiple writers and artists, so there's right. a lot of people. The artists with the most picks this year, Danny Warren Johnson, four picks for uh, Beta Ray Bill and for also an anthology book. Carlos Mango, Juan Ferrer, each of three, Bruno Redondo, Jorge Corona, Jorge Fornes, Mitch Garrett's all had two picks each. No, 56 other artists who had picks of the week. So this is where we get to the series. This year, six series were picked more than once. Only six. The two top pick series, Beta Ray Bill and King and Black Thunderbolts, each picked three times. Batman, Superman, Fantastic Four, Kang the Conqueror, and Nightwing all picked twice. So technically speaking, if you go by the numbers, our series of the year were Beta Ray Bill and King and Black Thunderbolts tied. I don't know that that's wrong. 35 other books were picked once for Pick of the Week, and we picked 17 number ones this year out of the 49. Is that high or normal? It's about normal. Yeah. It's about normal. I'm guessing that's consistent. I mean, you know, one of those Green Arrow 80th anniversary, it's really just a special. Right. A lot of number ones are really just number 700. <laughs> but the rest were number ones, yeah. Beta Ray Bill, Dark Ages, The Good Asian, King the Conqueror, Thunderbolts, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. But, you know... Pretty good year. Tom Taylor still rules the roost in terms of what we've been enjoying. Danny Warren Johnson is coming up, but he can only do so much as a writer-artist. So there you go. Those are the picks leaked by the numbers this year. Let's move on to the patron pick. This is where the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy can vote to add a book to the rundown. And this week, it started off wide-ranging. There was a lot of books that, were, that received votes this week. The winner ended up being One Star Squadron, number one, from Mark Russell, Steve Lieber, Dave Stewart, and Dave Sharp, DC Comics. It's an all-star team. It is an all-star team. 
I wonder how Steve Lieber feels about being this guy now. Because when we first encountered his work in the early 2000s, he was doing hardcore crime books with Greg Rucka. And now he's the funny guy. I spoke to him, I don't know if it was this year or last year, but I don't get the sense that it bothers him. I'm sure he's happy for the work, and he, he seems like he's a funny guy anyway. But just Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I think it's, it's a chance for him to sort of stretch himself one way, and he stretch himself the other way. Like, he can, he can do anything, but mm-hmm. the nature of comics is that they will put you in a box immediately so that people know when they see your name on a book what kind of book it is, and therefore will be more likely to buy it, I think. Right. Yeah. So this is a six-issue miniseries about a company called Heroes for You, H-E-R-O-Z, the number four and the letter U, that has an app that will let you hire heroes for all kinds of, let's just say, demeaning services, like showing up at parties or at professional events at like booths or cameo-esque video messages or telemarketing or definitely not an escort service, Tinder-style encounters. That's weird, by the way. That one doesn't fit. That's not how that works. That's not a that's not a gig economy thing. Whatever. It was interesting they used the same hero twice. I'm going to say two contradictory things about this. Okay. I think there's too many Mark Russell books. Now, far be it for me to tell the guy to do fewer books and make less money. I'm just an asshole with a podcast. He can do as many books as he wants to do. But I feel I like Mark Russell books used to be more special when they came out. And I think it's somewhat diluted, his voice. Because I think most of the books he's putting out are just okay now, where they used to all be great. I wonder if maybe he got a backlog of work that built up during the time when people weren't working as much, and they all just happened to sort of get made and come I feel out. like there's like five Mark Russell books right now. together. Yeah, I mean, which is not unusual for somebody who's sort of at peak working. In no, and again, write as many books as you want, feed your family. But when it was just Flintstones and it was just... Exit stage left. They were amazing and special. Whereas, you know, I thought my bad was just okay. Fantastic Four is good. I thought this was fine. They also tend to be a lot of minis. Yeah. So that sort of colors the impression that there's a lot. I'm not. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I don't know that it that there's too many of them. I think that he's also being typecast to a certain extent, and that's what the work is. So he does it. Let's pull back. And we'll talk about the book itself. And I think that what you are alluding to, and you said there were two contradictory things. Well, the contradictory thing is, is there's too many books, but also I thought this was on the scale, this was on the higher end. I thought this was solid, but okay. I didn't think it was great. I walked away really disappointed by it. Yeah. I know enough to be like, listen, they're not all, you know, going to speak to me in the way, but I just felt that this one was, the things in it felt kind of obvious to me. Again, we've said this a lot about his books is that there's too many things going on. Like, so it's part about gig economy and this part about not appreciating some of the heroes. And then I felt like the characters chosen were, and I, don't, I think it's too early for this, but like Red Tornado, I don't know anything about the character really. So mm-hmm. it was a little hard to have a grounding. It felt like Power Girl was just molded to what they needed her to be for this. And I don't actually know a lot about Powder Girl. It was a bit more of like the old school 90s Power Girl who was a hard-charging businesswoman, sort of severe. You know, right. the funnier, playful Jimmy Palmiotti version is a different version of Power Girl that's right. been seen in the past. So this is more of a throwback to that, that okay. sort of original Power Girl. That does make sense. I just struggled a little bit in trying to see if I cared, I guess. It wasn't mm-hmm. 
wasn't really funny enough for me to be like, I can't put this down. But also, it almost felt like I felt like a reach. Like I, I do another thing. I'll do about gig economy in DC. Like it, it's a premise more than it was something that worked. Again, first issue. I don't know. I really didn't enjoy it very much. And on paper, I should have enjoyed it a hell of a lot. The idea that he- the heroes who aren't Bruce Wayne have to do something to make their nut every month is an interesting one, potentially. But then they threw in Gangbuster, who was an old Superman sporting character who apparently has mental health issues or issues from being punched so many times in the head, which is the same thing, basically. Then it sort of muddied the waters. Like, what is this about? I think, especially with the DC universe, I think it's really hard to do these kind of stories. Societal ills in DC don't go together very well for some reason. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know, there's something weird about it. Like, you're like, well, Superman wouldn't let that happen. Like, it works better in Marvel, I think. And oddly enough, the other book that we talked about was the Fantastic Four book, and you're like, the world would have fallen apart. And I was like, no, no, keep it romantic. With this one, I'm like, maybe this (laughs) needed to be more... There really is a thing, like, I tend to think of the DC Universe like, like Superman would take care of him. Right. Or there's always work for these people. Right, and Red Tornado is... He was a Justice Leaguer, he ran the Young Justice team. Like, he's, he's not Black Condor like we see here you know he's not Minuteman. also the structure of the company didn't make sense to me too because it's supposed to be gig work but a bunch of the people were working there like full-time and i was like oh wait which is this it looks like you sign up to work there and then they send you out on jobs but that's right. not what it is i struggled with it a little bit and I, I didn't want to like i said it is the first issue i am gonna read the whole thing steve lieber is terrific he, he does character stuff so well but I didn't love it when I finished it. And I was really excited for it. There's a shot in there. I, I hadn't looked at the cover. I hadn't paid attention to mm-hmm. who was doing it, I guess, other than Mark Russell. From, I don't know why. And there's a page of Red Tornado who's eating a hamburger, which I also have questions about. Right. And he just has a big wad of food in the side of his mouth. And I was reading through it. I go, oh, this is Steve Lieber. <laughs> you know, like it occurred to me, like looking at one of those drawings. I was like, that's awesome. Then right. I, Maybe it's one of the other things I struggle with is that you know, the last time I saw Lieber was on uh, Jimmy Olsen, and I was like, this isn't as good as that. Right. You know, like, that was really part of it. Like, there was like, this isn't as good as that other thing I saw him on. Uh, you know, as much as it should be. There's no reason it wouldn't be, but I, I just was like, man, I miss Jimmy Olsen. One Star Squadron, number one, from Mark Russell, Steve Lieber, Dave Stewart, and Sharp. Ratings out of five. 2.75. I'm going to give it a three, but it's on the edge three. Right. Yeah. And by the way, a three from this team is disappointing. Yeah. This should be a four and a half book. And I mean, that might be a lot to do with it. It was just like, you do, oh, you turned in average work. You're not an average student. That's, that's not okay. And maybe it won't be average going forward. Maybe. I'm not going to. You know? Yeah. Oh, so the next question is, are you sticking with it? Yes. 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 I can't imagine a scenario where I don't finish this book unless it gets really bad. Because there's going to be things in it. I mean, it's going to be like that hamburger panel. I'm like, that's great. So is the Red Tornado like Vision? Does he eat? Does Yeah, he I don't know. Is... I mean, he is an android. Right, he is I like, knew In that. that sense, he is like the Vision, yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the joke, is that he's an android who eats a hamburger. I mean, he is putting mustard on it, so that right there tells you something's wrong. But the Vision's not like a robot. He's he's a synthesoid. He's, yeah, yeah, you're right. He's like a artificial organic. So that you can kind of understand. I mean, is he? We saw that panel in West Coast Avengers where he was just basically metal parts on a table. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who knows? 
Not yeah, but there's a whole lot of other shit going on with that that we don't have time to get into. We should just point out that this is going to be a long show. It's our last show of the year. We've got a lot to do. we got a lot to cover. So let's move into the patron power. So if that was the patron pick, every patron vote to add a book to that rundown. But if you give the $5 higher level, get your patron power live on the show, like these two patrons will. The thing about Cody is, Cody is, he's surprisingly good at stuff. Mm. You know, you'll be around and there'll be a piano there and he'll be like, hang on. You can play that piano like a motherfucker. You're in the kitchen. You're yeah. like, ah, what are we going to eat? And he's like, hold on. And he whips up like amazing Korean noodles. Mm-hmm. He's just, Ooh. he's surprisingly good at, at a large swath of things. You'd never expect it. but Is it, it everything it or just surprising things? Surprising. You know, mm-hmm. useful things. It's at the time that you need to be good at something. You just, I would have never thought. Like you'd be... <laughs> <laughs> you'd be like at like say you're at a a college football game right mm-hmm. and the quarterback is injured and cody just stands up his, and he raises his hand, he's like i think i can help with this and just throws a perfect game or you know like the drummer goes down he's surprisingly good at stuff very good at things surprisingly good at everything yeah when needed charles phillips can mentally push buttons Meaning, not only can he mentally turn on devices and, th- and you know press doorbells, elevator door buttons, but he can also push your buttons mentally. So the metaphorical button is also something Charles can push. The first comic book story I ever wrote was about a guy who could push buttons with his mind. Buttons, but also metaphorical buttons. No, not that, though. So he's useful and very annoying. Right. He knows what buttons to push with his mind because he can is there a positive way to push mental buttons? I guess you're trying to motivate somebody. Even in doing so, there's a negative connotation like you're doing it like in opposition to the thing. Like yeah, maybe. you're pushing somebody's button to get them to do the thing that they weren't going to do on their own. Maybe they didn't need to do it on their own. They just couldn't do it. Right. It's like a coach. But like, has anybody ever said, oh, he pushed my buttons and it was wonderful? I guess that's well, if you... Yes, actually, a sex yes. Thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just... Charles can also push that button mentally. Well, that's, so, that's going to put Charles in a great deal of demand. Charles can do with his mind. Patreon.com slash fanboy. $5 higher level. You can superpower live in the show like Cody and Charles. Thanks for being patrons and thanks for everyone who's a patron this year. Uh, we do really appreciate it. I don't know if Cody is surprisingly good at that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Man, <laughs> Cody from out of nowhere. <laughs> Who thought? All right, let's answer our last audience question of the year. This was an audio question that Mike from Buffalo sent to us for episode 800. We tried to play it. Our live stream setup did not allow it to work. So we're going to do it now for Mike. Hi, fanboy. This is Mike from Buffalo, New York. And I've been thinking about this question for six years and two months. In episode 493 from July of 2015... The comic 1872, number one, was Connor's pick of the week. Ron talked about how he loves a good map, which was covered in that issue. And we all grew up in a generation of Marvel handbooks and the order of battle issues that helped us to understand the key story points. So what I've been thinking about all these years is what is the map or handbook of iFanboy podcasts? What are the key episodes that every iFanboy patron or enthusiast should listen to? Some of my suggestions are when Middle Management Red Skull was born, the Rebarb episode, or any episode where you talk G.I. Joe, especially the toys and Cutter. Then there's the episode where nothing makes sense and nothing matters, 
and one as Electra was born. You have to include the episode where Josh picks Scalp instead of Blackest Night for Pick of the Week. Essential listening should include when Ron left the first time, then came back and left again to leave the two Jamokes. You can't forget Josh's solo episode, which is akin to G.I. Joe 21. Then there's the episode where Connor donated his comic books and the emotional episode after Darwin Cook passed away. Hopefully this list could be compiled and put on the website as the essential map to your wonderful podcast for all those looking for new content. Thanks for all you've done, a loyal listener, since I first found the Jeff Johns video show. Congratulations on episode 800. That was a very nice message from Mike from Buffalo. It was also extremely soothing. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to for a nap. I know. I was like, is this, wait, is this a meditation app? Yeah, I put that on when I can't sleep. It's great. I got to say, my favorite part of that question was that he asked it and then most helpfully answered, answered it. it. Great. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, you just compared your solo show to G.I. Joe 21. That's quite a compliment. It is. And I do not deserve that. <laughs> also, I've done multiple solo shows. Just right. That's true. I mean, he basically answered it, uh, you know... <sighs> Uh, I don't know. Five years after we started doing the show, I think it was five years. Yeah, 2010, Paul Montgomery and Ryan Haupt, both people who make frequent appearances on the show now, did a special episode, a high fanboy highlights for the, of the first five years. That pretty much covered a lot of the big moments. They put a lot of work in that. They went through everything because they pretty much got the highlights. They got middle manager Red Skull. They got post-coital Thor. They got Arthur from Maine. They got Rusty Auto Parts. They got all of it. He did miss, too, by the way. Paul was the regular host for a That's long true. time. Yeah. That would be part of that story for sure. Yeah, he was a host for two years. Yeah. Almost exactly. It's, it's hard when you're making it to remember the highlights, but you did a good job of capturing some of our favorite episodes when we look back on it. Well, it's funny because when he said it, I was thinking of, like, running gags. I was like, well, yeah. this came up. There was rich people. That was early on. Yeah. But then he, he brought up, he's like, the bit after Darwin died. I was like, oh, God, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Like that was. By the way, we should yeah. also mention it wasn't just Darwin; it was it was Timmy Wood died the same week. Oh goodness! Yeah, show. you're right. Ugh. That was also part of the discussion, big part of yeah. the discussion. Yeah, I mean, there's been highs and lows, emotional moments, and Darwin and Timmy dying was an, was an emotional moment. Ron leaving the first time was an emotional moment. We left the second time; it was like whatever. <laughs> but if you go back and listen to that first show where Ron leaves the first time, and we haven't announced it yet, yeah, we don't I announce until the end of the show. Uh, we're struggling to hold it together in that show. Yeah. Like we're struggling to, to stay on topic and make points. And it's a lot, it's a bit of a mess until you, it, it becomes clear why. But, you know, then, then the next show was Ron's quote unquote last show. And it was very celebratory. It was a live show. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. You know, this is our lives. And it's been a chronicle of so. If we were going to add anything to it, I think the most recent installment would be Ryan way overdoing it. On the last live show. Oh, yeah. Where he could no longer function. Yeah. I've had bad live shows, but I don't know if I've ever been that bad. It was spectacular. It wasn't like, oh, this is so sad he's like this. It was like, oh, you misjudged. (laughs) 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 It snuck up on him. Yeah. I mean, he's not a kid. I think he, I mean, he was drinking yeah. a very strong, strange Icelandic drink or something. I blacked out on a live show. Like, I blacked out where I did the show. And then when I edited it, there was a certain point where I was like, well, this is all new to me. And I don't normally, I'm not someone who blacks out. But mm. 
I had to think two bottles of champagne in the course of the, doing the show. And Good God. Yeah. Anyway. I know that we had been at the end of all media shows where I was like, and I stay up late mm-hmm. every day. But I remember this, at least one of them, where I was like, we have to stop. I, I can't be awake anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I think I almost left at one point. You finished talking about comics. I can't. I mean, you know how tired I have to be for that to happen? We have fun doing the show. I know, you know, a lot of people over the years, and this is more prevalent, ironically, fairly early on in the run of the show, were like, these guys aren't having fun anymore. Why are they still doing it? This is a great time for us. Mm. Yeah. Even if we don't do a particularly good show, and sometimes you can tell. Just because it happens as you do a lot of shows and they're not all going to be great. We have a great time doing it. And we hope that it translates to a great time listening. That's really the whole point of doing this entire show is we have fun talking to each other and we hope you have fun listening. And that's the entire point of this endeavor. And uh, I wouldn't trade any of it for the world. Nope. You know? Nope. So thanks, Mike from Buffalo, for saying that. And I apologize it's taken so long to get to. But after we missed 800 on it, I wanted to make sure it was done on a special episode, which is the last one of the year. So there you go. Contact at ifanboy.com. You can write in an email, or like Mike, you can send in an audio clip. We don't have the voice of line anymore, but it doesn't mean you can't send in an audio clip in to be on the show. We encourage it. Also, you can write in for the Media Splode Show, which is our monthly media show, and you can put Media Splode in the title of that email and let us know. Again, we do an email bankruptcy at the end of the year we get we just put all the emails we didn't answer in a folder and move on clean starting the next year so if you did i feel like that just show, happened it did so if you uh, yeah if you want your email on the show and we didn't get to it send it in again people who emailed us this week we might hold on to yours simply because who knows what we get the first week of january or not but sure. we'll see so send those in if you didn't get your email on the show so real quick how can you help support this endeavor that we've been just discussing that is such a big part of our lives. There are several ways I'm going to do this fast because we've had lots of things going on. Patreon.com slash iFanboy is the best way to directly support the show. You unlock new shows for everybody to listen to, and you become part of a great community, and we appreciate everyone who's a patron. Uh, we hope you make it worth your while, and you keep the show going. We do appreciate that. iFanboy.threadless.com is where you can get our T-shirts and our other products with those designs on them. There are now 12 designs. Our newest design is, gosh, good old superheroes which we debuted last weekend on the Patreon Hangout, which has been available on our Thudless store. So you can check those out, not just T-shirts, but also uh, iPhone cases or shower mats or shower curtains or skateboard decks, all kinds of things you can buy there. Although I buy T-shirts, I just bought a whole new round of T-shirts with the new designs on them. And thank you for buying those shirts or checking them out. I found slash support is where you can, it's our basically our digital tip jar. That's our PayPal link. If you want to throw in a tip in a tip jar and not buy a shirt or support us through Patreon, that's fine too. Also, if you're an eccentric billionaire and you got to shed some cash before the end of the year, that's also where you can do it. I found slash Amazon is where you can buy. Can we do eight minutes on that? <laughs> buy our Real books. Quick. That we talk about on Booksplode, there's also a general Amazon link there. If you're doing some holiday shopping, we always appreciate if you use that. And finally, we've just partnered with bookshop.org to help out local bookstores. Uh, and you'll be able to find bookshop.org links on our website where appropriate, where we're talking about trade paperbacks and things like that. So all those things are how people help support our show and us in our new gig economy of show creators. This is how it's done. And we do appreciate everyone who... Yeah, throws a couple bucks our way. We we know it can be hard out there, and so we do appreciate. If you think we're worth it, we do. Thank you. Let's wrap the show up. We're not quite as long as I feared going into it, but we're still a little long. 
So is Cody. He's surprisingly long. <laughs> so this is our period of time where we are we end early on our holiday break, but we have a lot of shows for you. So since Thanksgiving, we've had Shang Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings show. We've had our Eternal show. We've had our last media explode of the year. We had our two book explodes this month. One on Avengers Forever. Surprisingly controversial pick, Josh. The audience really? not, too, not too into that book. And then the book explode on the Death of Captain Marvel, which just came out this week. So those are the two book explodes. Love. Avengers Forever, loved Death of Captain Marvel. And then, going forward for the rest of the year, Josh should have a Toxplode out this week. I will. This week I will be publishing a Toxplode with editor Will Dennis. You may recognize his name from a spectacular era at Vertigo Comics, where he was an editor for 15 years, and then he did not go to Los Angeles with the rest of them, and now he is a freelance editor. He's working on a lot of the indie books you know, from big names that you would probably know. We talked for quite a while. He's a great storyteller. He really can give us a representation of a time that in comics is personally really important to me. You know, like he had his hands on and, you know, brought people in, you know, who have been some of my favorite people in comics. Like he's the guy who pulled Jason Aaron off a slush pile, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we, he talks about that story. It's great listening. And, and we don't talk to editors a heck of a lot. So um, I was really happy with it. And I think you will like it. You can look forward to that one coming out December 16th. And then a few days later, that can't be right. Is it 15th? I think that date's I, wrong. I don't know dates. I know. Yes, that'll come out on the 16th. And then on the 19th, not the 18th, the 19th will be the all-media year-end roundup, which is our traditional final show of the year in which Josh and I and Ron will talk about all the things we enjoyed in media this year. That's coming to you on the 19th. And then that kicks off our holiday break. We'll be back with Pick of the Week 811 on January 9th. And then sometime in January, we'll be covering Spider-Man No Way Home. So we'll figure that out depending on Omicron and theaters and all that stuff. On January 5th and 6th, though, Connor and I will be reading a lot of backlog, I can assure you. Yeah, yeah. We'll be, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be bad. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. That's the schedule. Get over to ifm.com. You can find all of our shows. You can find all of our podcasts. You can find all the writing that has ever took place, for the most part, from our large team in aggregate of writers. You can go to facebook.com slash ifanboy, at ifanboy on Twitter, or at ifanboycomics on Instagram, and you can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out in those places and some other things that show up there. You can follow Connor and I individually on Instagram at C.S. Kilpatrick and Jay Flanagan. You can go to youtube.com slash ifanboy to keep going with the video show re-uploads and and, and just, you know, like, it's all there. It's all all there. there. This past week, there was a mini on It's Superman, which is a book about Superman. It's a novel. It's a prose book, which Ryan Haupt sent me unsolicited in the mail at the time nice then there's san diego comic-con 2010 both part two and part three that was at the height of our powers that was the point where we would actually start to get recognized in the streets of major cities outside of comic-cons and it's all downhill from there which is actually fine because then that was our sitcom opening show ah where we did like goofy you know freeze frame opens (laughs) As soon as you said Goofy sitcom, what I heard in my head was, come on, I got a door. Was that the start of when we did Strange Openings at con shows, or was that the end? I, I think the I think it was near the end. I think the first one... The first one was Twin Peaks. It was? I thought... The, I, I don't think I was at that one. No, I did that in Seattle because I was just kind of bored. Right. And I said, you know, we're at Seattle. Ron and I went to the 
Twin Peaks Falls, and I t- we took video of it. So fuck right. it. And then that's we started a string of TV we show terriers uh, at that next San Diego one. Which way to put your finger on the pulse of something that people would remember and know? We did terriers. We did ER at ER e- in Chicago. We did, we did Night Court Party of Five in San Francisco. We did Night Court in New York. That was where you knew we were getting bored of doing the cons. Yep. Yeah, that's like season eight of a sitcom when they start doing all musical episodes. Started having more fun shooting the goofy opens than we did the interviews. Which, you know, not to badmouth what we did, but, you know. No, but I think it's that same thing that you're actually seeing with a lot of people now, like, where, like, Conan O'Brien is like, yeah, I liked doing the show, but I really like doing long-form interviews better and, like, having long conversations about stuff. And I, I think that ultimately... We like that more, the sort of more in-depthy kind of stuff that those shows didn't really get. We always had a lot of fun at con shows. Yes. Tons of fun, personally. But, you know, years and years of interviews where people don't want to answer any questions because they act like and you've they're only got the CIA. Two, is two three minutes. Yeah. Tell us about your book. Well, I can't tell you anything. Okay, thanks. <laughs> so, you know, after doing that for five years in a row, I was like, well, let's, let's shoot an ER open. Where are we in the script? Oh, if you like the show, leave write us a review or leave a star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, however you listen to the show, if you can rate and review the show, it's a great way to help. It helps with the all-knowing, all-seeing algorithm, helps people find the show. And that, again, like we always like to say, it's not just about us. Any podcast you listen to, the best way to help them is to rate and review the show wherever you listen to it. That helps them immensely. Even better than that is word of mouth. People ask about podcasts. If you feel like mentioning us and your holiday gatherings this year, that's totally cool. It's better than arguing about vaccinations, isn't it? Argue about comics. Because everyone's seen the movies. They can argue about it with you. Help us spread the word. We do appreciate you that. You could not argue. I mean, yeah, that's, that's not realistic. I don't argue at my family gatherings. We don't your argue at all. Your family delightful. We just watch a lot of movies. Anyway, where are we? Oh, that's it for the picks of the week of 2021. We'll be back next week with the All Media Year and Roundup. Thanks for listening this year. We do appreciate it, and we'll see you next week. Until then, I'm Connor. And I'm Josh. Thanks, everyone. And the bustle This time of year Ain't supposed to be so stressful